You're listening to the Creating a Brand Podcast. I am your host, Alex Sanfilippo. Today's guest is Scott Miller. Scott is the Vice President and CMO at Franklin Covey Company. If you're not familiar, Franklin Covey was founded by Stephen Covey, who is the author of Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Scott Miller actually reached out to me. It turns out he's a fan and listener of the Creating a Brand podcast, which I just thought was really cool. During our conversation, he was just congratulating me on the podcast success and also asked me if I'd like a copy of his recently published book titled Management Mess to Leadership Success. Here's the deal. I read that book in two sittings. And if you know anything about me, I'm not really a two sittings type of guy with a book. It takes me a lot longer than that, but it was just that good. It's high caliber and lives up to the Franklin Covey standard. As soon as I finished the book, I actually reached back out to Scott and asked if he'd be a guest on the Creating a Brand podcast, which he agreed to do. So in today's episode, Scott and I walked through six of the 30 points from his book, These are the points that I specifically picked out for you, the Creating a Brand listener, because I know they're going to have the most value and add the most to your ability to lead others. So let's go ahead and jump into my interview now with Scott Miller. Scott, thank you so much for being a guest on the Creating a Brand podcast. So excited about this today. Me too, Alex. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah, no problem. You know, actually, we met on LinkedIn and you sent me a copy of your book after a a conversation we had, Management Mess to Leadership Success. And I like to think that slightly defines my life. So I was really excited to get a copy of your book. And then to actually get you on the podcast is just an honor for me. And I know it's gonna be a big value add for the creating a brand community and all of our listeners. So really excited to have you here today. It certainly describes my career. So I'm glad that you related to it. Yes. And it's really great to hear that I'm not alone. So uh, it was really cool because just hearing the management mess thing, I was like, oh, that was me, especially throughout my early 20s. That was definitely that would define Alex Sanfilippo. Yeah, it was really interesting to be able to just see that on a book title. I was like, I I definitely want to read this. And so I actually read it in two sittings. I read it in just two days. Super refreshing the way you had it laid out. I I definitely don't want to give up your whole book, but the way that you had it broken into three sections and then a 30 day calendar type of thing, really refreshing to read. You did a fantastic job on that. Well, thanks. And kudos to you for only acknowledging that your 20s were messes because my 30s and all my 40s were messes also. So you're way ahead of me. (laughs) Uh, Okay. I'm just going to leave no comment there. Uh, I've made some progress. I'm still a work in progress though. But uh, no, I appreciate it. And you know, it's honestly due to material like this, I've devoted my life to to learning more about leadership and just growing myself personally. I believe that's actually where we're really going to be able to add value in this conversation today is going through a few of the points in your book because we're not going to have time to go through all 30 challenges that you mentioned throughout it. But I do want to kind of hit a few from each of the sections in the book, if that would be okay with you. Sounds great. Great. So your sections were broken up as lead yourself, lead others and get results. So let's just start with the lead yourself. And I think that a lot of the people that are listening to this podcast, a lot of the creating a brand community members and a lot of just the audience are people that have a full-time job right now and are starting some sort of side hustle or just getting into a startup of some sort. So I believe that leading ourselves is a really, really important point. So I definitely want to spend some time here. It was actually your very first point. It was day one in your book, and it was demonstrate humility. I'd love to hear more about what you mean by that. Well, Alex, I used to think that humble people were shy people or weak people or quiet people. And that, uh, that, that was a kind of a a, a not a leadership strength. And I, I, I really came to learn that I was just fundamentally wrong, that humility has nothing to do with charisma or tone, not explicitly per se. The humble people are more concerned with what is right than being right. And I love that quote from Dr. Covey, because I think a lot of times as a leader, I was more concerned with being right, with 
proving my agenda and coming out on top. And to quote Liz Wiseman, being the genius in the room versus the genius maker of others, I came to learn that humility is actually born out of confidence. Confident people can be humble people. Arrogant people cannot show humility. Wow. So confident people can be humble. Now, if you're arrogant, you're going to put yourself into a position where you're, you're not able to be humble anymore or ever to be humble, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, I, think, I think the learning there is the more confident you are in your knowledge, education, experiences, skills, contribution, the more you're willing to be vulnerable, the more you're willing to let others shine, the less you have to always be the smartest person in the room, always be right. If you think about it, the more confident you are in who you are, the more you're okay not always having the spotlight and always being the, you know, the loud voice in the room. You know, I, I was the kind of guy that either I was, went big or went home, meaning if I couldn't be the center of attention, then I didn't want to go. And that was okay. But I realized that you know, I don't always have to be right or always be the center of the attention. I can let other people shine. That humility is a strength and not, as I saw it, more of a weakness. I love it. And you know, something about me with, with my faith, I'm, I'm a Christian and I believe that humility is part of the foundation of my faith. So it's something I've really devoted my life to learning more about and being able to understand. I do find that people that get confident tend to fall into this overconfident self and then become somewhat conceited at times. How have you been able to kind of draw that line for yourself? I haven't. It's something <laughs> that I struggle with all the time. I'll be honest. I mean, I'm not an especially humble person. I like the spotlight and I, I think highly of myself. In fact, one of my early coping strategies, truthfully, was to have a bit of a self-inflated ego, a self-inflated sense of confidence. I think in some ways that was good. I mean, taken too far, you're a narcissist, right? But I think that it's something that I definitely struggle with. I'm actually pretty good at other things, but this is why I put it first, because fundamental to moving from mess to success is being able to acknowledge that you have messes. And I think too often or too rarely, do leaders acknowledge their own messes? Everybody's got some mess going on. And leaders need to acknowledge that people are talking about your messes. The receptionist knows them. The CEO knows them. Your team members, they're talking about them behind your back often. So why not just acknowledge your messes, show some humility, and then make it safe for those around you to acknowledge their mess? You know, and recently, a, a fairly famous author provided me a review of the book on Amazon. And he's a fairly famous psychiatrist. And he said, uh, a mess is a terrible thing to waste. And I loved that quote because it's so true. Oh, wow. If as a leader, you're comfortable talking about your messes, don't wallow in them, don't make excuses for them, but you'll lessen the bridge, the artificial gap between you and your people, and you'll make it safe for them to take some risks and acknowledge their own fears because everybody's got them. It's so true. We, you know, fear is just, it's part of life. It's what you do as a response that really makes a difference for you and for those around you. Humility is a point I feel like we could actually spend the entire podcast episode talking about, but for sake of time, I want to get to some more things here, but solid points on humility and something that I believe that all of us need to really take a self inventory of, are we walking in humility? Cause that is such an important element. And I believe that you'll never achieve the success that you dream of and that you want to until you learn to walk and humility and learn to be transparent with those around you and let them know that, hey, you're not perfect. You're making mistakes along the way, but you're doing your best. 
it's such a beautiful thing. So uh, I'm still talking about humility. So let's move on to the next point here. This was actually day two to think abundantly. Yeah, this really is a mindset, right? I mean, all of us have some scarce thinking and we have some abundant thinking. The abundant person is the leader, is the person who believes philosophically that there is enough to go around. Now, you may say, what's enough? Well, enough paper clips, enough budget, enough resources, enough credit, enough fame. I, I share a quite vulnerable story, as I do in nearly every chapter, about a time when a gentleman who I had actually recruited to come back to the firm that I, I helped to lead, Franklin Covey, his name was Jimmy. And Jimmy and I went to lunch one day at the Cracker Barrel. I love the Cracker Barrel, by the way. And we went to the Cracker Barrel. I knew this up by your book, by the way. My <laughs> I goodness. love Cracker Barrel. You like to eat? I noticed that. <laughs> I love to eat. I also, I love to not make sure I have any meetings that might go south at restaurants that I like to eat in because I associate, you know, bad conversations with the physical environment. So if you ever invite me to Cracker Barrel, it's going to be a good conversation you're saying. I shouldn't worry about anything. <laughs> That's right. If we're going to Taco Bell, no offense, Taco Bell or Subway, you're in trouble, right? So Jimmy sits me down. And literally the first words out of his mouth are, now this guy, this guy reports to me, he's 15 years, my junior, he's like, you know, four steps on the career ladder beneath me. I'm an executive vice president. I'm an officer in the firm. Jimmy's a manager. He sits me down and says to me, Scott, I'm tired of you taking credit for all of my work. Now, I didn't entirely agree with him in my mind, but I listened to him and I realized that. I was probably taking credit in his eyes, right? By me sending out the email announcing his project or me speaking from the podium at the company town hall, talking about an initiative that he'd led. Naturally, I was kind of getting credit. I'm not sure I was taking it, but I was definitely getting it. And I had to ask myself, how much more credit do I need? Because, you know, I'm a fairly charismatic person. I'm fairly loud. I have an executive title that's earned. How much more credit do I need? It's kind of hard to shine out from under me. I know my wingspan, my wingspan kind of, you know, cast a pretty big shadow. So since then, I have intentionally, deliberately thought more about lifting my people up, giving them credit, making sure that the spotlight isn't always on me, and often increasingly turning it onto others. Yeah. And that comes from a place of you have to be somewhat confident to do that because a lot of us, we feel like a, you know, a scarcity mindset. And it's kind of easy to get into that. Like, oh, I need to make sure that I continue to be in front of people, right? That's right. Right. I get credit. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's a really important point to to really talk about because I think a lot of us, we have this mentality again of there's not enough to go around or what happens if I don't get noticed enough or my coworkers getting more accolades than I am, like they're getting looked at a lot more than I am. It's something that we have to really overcome in our minds. And I think a lot of us do that when we're starting our own businesses as well. We look around and we think that, oh, there's no way I'm going to succeed in this because there's already, this person's already doing it really well. And we kind of get into this, this self-doubt, you know, we, we get into this place of fear, if you will, where we're just like, okay, there's just not enough to go around. Uh, but having an abundance mindset in life in general is going to take you much further. I think it's a precarious career strategy. I'm writing several more books in this mess to success genre. The third book is going to be job mess to career success. And one of the challenges is just this, is how do you in your career balance not being sort of a fame hog and also not being a martyr or a victim, letting other people take credit for your work, right? And I think increasingly in organizations, leaders know who did what, but not always, especially for virtual teams. So 
there is a delicate balance, kind of like a clutch and a gas, you know, in a standard transmission where you got to make sure that you're getting credit, but not always taking credit. And I share some tips in the coming book around that as well. It is a deliberate mindset that everybody should be aware of is making sure you're not being passed over or somebody else isn't taking credit from you, while at the same time, you're receiving appropriate credit for your contribution so you can grow your career. Don't be naive. There are people out there that will usurp credit from you, and then you're kind of left holding the bag while they're moving up the letterhead. That, that, that's not a sustainable strategy, but in some companies, it is. So you have to just kind of know your culture and know what strategy to employ. And at the end of the day, just, you know what, do a good job, tell the truth, share credit, and don't be afraid to claim credit when it's necessary or appropriate. That's good. I think a lot of it is just going to take discernment. You have to be discerning to know when the the time is right. Right. I love that. So I want to fast forward some days here. We're going to move into the second section of your book, which is lead others. Day 10, make time for relationships. What do you mean by relationships? Yeah, you know what? There's a misnomer out there, Alex, that a lot of companies say, which is that people are our most valuable asset. It's simply not true. People are not any organization's most valuable asset. It is the relationships between the people that are your most valuable asset. Because Alex can be, you know, Mensa quality intellect, and Scott can be the most creative person on the planet. But if Alex and Scott can't get along, It doesn't matter. Exactly. If we can't forgive each other, if we can't pre-forgive each other, if we can't work well together, compliment each other, recognize that Alex has these things, you get the point. It's how your people work together or they don't that sets your company apart from your competition. And so relationships are everything. One of the key concepts that Dr. Covey impressed upon me was the difference between having an efficient and an effective mindset. And this is profound. I am a very efficient person. You can hear it in my voice. I have a high level of productivity. I get up very early. I accomplish more than most people accomplish in a day by noon because I'm a very fast-paced person. That works in certain parts of life. Some meetings, some processes with some systems. It works taking the garbage out and mowing the lawn. Right. Where it doesn't work is with people. With people, you have to have an effective mindset. And it's completely different than efficient. Efficiency-minded people tend to treat people the same way they treat submitting their expense reports. It's a fundamental maturity that you have to go through. That, to quote Dr. Covey, with people, slow is fast and fast is slow. So to everyone, whether you are a leader or a parent or a coach or a partner or a friend, slow down. Take your time, especially with relationships. When someone comes into your office, close your laptop, turn your phone over, take your glasses off, check into the person. It's been a huge learning for me to know when to be efficient and when to be effective. And it's a constant struggle with me to slow down. And I've learned as a dad, I have three boys, five, seven, and nine. And when I take my boys to get ice cream, it's an ice cream shop about four blocks from our house. I historically will try to do it as fast as possible. What am I doing? This should take as long as possible, right? I should leave my phone at home. We should walk there, not take the car. There's a time 
to slow down. And it's usually always when it comes to developing relationships. Because Alex, at the end of the day, it's all we've got, right? The cliche, no one on their deathbed wished they'd spent more time at the office. It's so true. Right. It took me a while to realize that your job is a career. Your job is not your life. And I was 41 before I was married. So for much of my 20 years of my first careers, I defined myself by my job, by my title, by my business card, by my paycheck, by my W-2. And then I got married and realized, oh my gosh, that is just one small part of me. I think single people, which I was one, and I, and I, you know, I would have been happy staying single. I fell in love and got married and had three kids and it's worked out well for me. So I, I don't shame single people at all. I think a lot of married people wish they were single and vice versa. But I think even for those people who are either single or whatever your role is in life, be really clear about the fact that nothing is worth coming at the expense of those important relationships at work and at home. And I'll finish with this. The fact of the matter is, Alex, we spend more time at work with our colleagues than we do on average awake with our family. So when you, when you sober up to that, you realize how important it is to like the people you work with and for, and also be respected by those and to make the best of those relationships that are often 10, 12 hour a day uh, associations. Yeah. I'm like you and I actually have, I think naturally the, the more efficient mindset, if you will, that's kind of the way I naturally go. And it took me a long time to learn to turn off my email when someone would walk up to me, because I think a lot of people they, they have more of, they're thinking effectively. They're thinking more like, okay, I want to build a relationship here. Me, my relationship was built around how much work are we getting done? You know, that was my idea of a relationship, especially earlier in business. And I'd be talking to somebody, but I'd also be checking my email at the same time. And it's something that over the years I've had to learn that you don't build relationships that way. And like you're saying, someone that is in a good relationship with you in a work environment is going to help you succeed so much more than somebody who just feels like, oh, he won't look up at me when I go over to his computer because he's busy checking his email. It makes a huge difference. Yeah, we're, we're going to see a renaissance of organizations reinvesting in what some people call soft skills. I would call them human skills. <laughs> They're not soft skills about really reconnecting because all of us have been sucked into this efficiency mindset, multitasking, productivity, all of our digital tools. And I, I would caution leaders. Leaders create culture in every action and you destroy culture in every action. Every email, every text, every voicemail, every meeting. Every time you're walking out of a meeting down the hall to a next meeting and you're on your phone checking the seven texts that came in or the 14 emails and you pass someone in the hallway and your head's buried in your phone, oh, you've created a moment of culture. Put your phone down. Put it in your pocket. And the next time you pass someone in the hallway, look up and say, hi, my name is Scott. I don't recognize you. When did you join the firm? That's a chance for you to create a connection and create a culture. Put your phone down. If you're creating a brand, whether it's a personal brand through a blog or influencing on social media, or a professional brand with a product or service that you're offering, the Creating a Brand community is for you. We are your digital mastermind or tribe. Our community is built on our own custom social media platform where we share our experiences, recommendations, and solve real problems together. In addition, all members have exclusive access to our many online courses. Ultimately, we are a powerful community of entrepreneurs that are helping each other succeed. You will always go further in life and in business when you're part of a healthy community. I'm so passionate about this that I'm going to ask you to do something for me right now. 
Visit creatingabrand.com and join our community today. You can start for free and it will take you less than three minutes to set up. Once you join, message me directly. I'd love to have a conversation with you and welcome you to our community. Scott, I'd like to cover one more point in the second section of your book, which is day 19, protect your team against urgencies. How can we do this? Yeah, I think in this hyper-competitive, global, fast-paced, 24-7 world that we all live in, it's not going to change. We have become a bit addicted to an urgent mindset. And I think leaders who move from mess to success really use, to quote you, a level of discernment judgment, decision-making capability to differentiate what is important from what is urgent. Because not everything is urgent, truly. And a lot of leaders, like myself, are a bit urgency addicted. We get a lot of validation from saving the day, from solving crisis. Alex, I love a good crisis. Me too. And if one doesn't exist, I'll cook one up. (laughs) I mean, I've been known to manufacture and make things feel like they're more urgent than they are because it gets a bit addicting to me. You know, that dopamine squirt that goes off in your mind and you get an adrenaline rush. And that's funny, but it's also kind of sick because people don't want to work in an addicted culture. They don't want to work in a culture where the boss says everything is due right now. You have to be able to differentiate between what is due today at five and what is due next Thursday at five. So oftentimes leaders are the problem. It is your job both to protect your team from everything being urgent and differentiate what is need to be done today, what needs to be done tomorrow, and what can truly wait until next week or next month. And also to self-identify, to challenge your own blind spots, be self-aware. Where are you part of the problem? People can survive in an urgency culture for some time, but they will burn out and they will quit and they'll go work for a company that isn't urgency addicted. And then you look at the leader. You're valued as long as you're working for a company with misaligned and corrupt systems. But if you ever try to find a job in a well-oiled machine or with companies that actually have processes, they don't need you. They don't need a firefighter because they want fire preventers. So I'd say to everybody out there who's like me that loves a good crisis, there's a time and a place for you And there are many more times in fewer places that are not for you. Be very aware of the role you're playing in building this urgency addiction. Yeah, I laugh at that because I'm very similar. I've manufactured some myself, but you know, most people, they start freaking out when you get into a crisis moment. For me, it's like, oh, I cannot wait. We get to figure this out in real time, you know, and it's, it does something. Uh, Now, a lot of our listeners, they're entrepreneurs, they're kind of rolling solo right now. They don't really have teams. How can you kind of prioritize this for yourself? Because if you're kind of doing all of it, like how do you really prioritize that well? Yeah, you know, it's difficult, right? I mean, Dr. Covey was famous for integrating the time management matrix into his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People and his seminal productivity book called First Things First, just to kind of, you know, really get clear on what is important and what is urgent and what is not important, what is not urgent and what things should be kind of quote in quadrant one what should be in quadrant two? You can Google the time management matrix. This is not a revolutionary thing. I think actually Eisenhower developed it in the Second World War or something. But I would just use a lot of self-awareness. Is Usually entrepreneurs have a sense of urgency addiction because you like to see results. You thrive on productivity and getting stuff done. 
And as we begin to grow our firms, even one, two or three people, there are things you have to say no to. I've been an entrepreneur. I've owned my own small cottage business. I found myself often gravitating towards those skills of the business that I liked the most. Marketing, advertising, building, I tend to neglected, the supply chain, operations side, and then they became urgent because I neglected them. Right. And so I had to really calibrate. I wasn't just spending my time on the things I liked to do in the business, but I really balanced some of the things that I had to do so they wouldn't become urgent because I'd neglected them. Yeah, I think the best action for the listeners today is really to go look up that that time matrix. Basically, I, I first saw it in the book Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and it it changed my life because me, like you, and like all of us, we like to focus on what we enjoy, right? And that creates urgencies in other places. And sometimes what you enjoy doing isn't the right action to take to grow your brand further. And Alex, to that point, I think too often leaders reward the wrong types of behavior. When is the last time you've gathered everybody around and you gave someone a gift card to Target because they checked all the boxes and the order got to the client on time? That never happens. You give the gift card to the person that took the product out of the warehouse, put it in their trunk, drove seven hours through the, through the night, and arrived five minutes before the client went live. We often reward the wrong behaviors. What people realize is, oh, I'm going to be rewarded for saving the day versus I'm going to be rewarded for making sure we put quality processes in place to prevent an urgency culture. Be very careful about what you reward as a leader. That's good. Uh, and that includes for yourself, for all of our listeners that are out there, they're just kind of rolling solo. Be careful how you reward yourself. I mean, just because you spent half a day on Instagram and got some more followers doesn't mean you, you built your brand any further. And you have to make sure that you really think strategically about what you're doing and what you're actually growing to help your brand further develop. You know, Alex, this is rudimentary. And I know our time is tight, but as an officer in our firm, I'm constantly asking myself, literally every couple of hours every day, is this the highest use of my time for our shareholders? Is this the biggest return on my investment? Is being on Alex's podcast more important than something else? Is flying to Miami and being at a book signing better than being with a client or with the CEO or with the, the marketing team? I, as an entrepreneur, ask yourself the same question. Every hour on the hour for the next two days, ask yourself, is this the highest use of my time? Or... Am I doing what I like to do, which may not be the highest use of your time? If you take a time log of your next day or two or three and ask yourself every hour on the hour, is this the best use of my time? Will this provide me the highest return, the highest benefit to our clients, the highest return to my investor, the highest return to building my brand or my product? You'll find yourself saying, no, this probably isn't. I'm just enjoying this. Maybe I should be doing something different. Yeah, that's a powerful question to ask yourself. I'm actually taking a note of that. I'm going to start asking myself that question as well. Thank you for that. That's that's great. If you get in the groove, it'll give you the power to say no to good ideas at the expense of great ideas. Love it. I'm excited about that one. That's good. So moving along here, going into your last section of your book, which is to get results. This is where we all want to be, right? Day 22 was create vision. Can you explain what you mean by create vision? Yeah, I mean, this is not revolutionary, right? I think as leaders, we're constantly reminded about how important clarifying our purposes, our mission, our values, clarifying our strategy, setting actionable goals, goals that are attainable, goals that people understand what their contribution is towards it. 
But when it comes to creating vision, this is not a not an event, right? This is a process. This is something that you continually are setting, and perhaps you're even reevaluating. You know, I, I read a book once called "How Will You Measure Your Life." It's a phenomenal business book. Clayton Christensen, of course, the brilliant mind from Harvard Business School. Karen Dillon is the former editor of the Harvard Business Review. These are both dear friends of mine. They wrote this book called How Will You Measure Your Life? It basically took business principles, applied them to personal life. And in it, they quote a study that showed that on average, 93% of all successful organizations end up with a different strategy than what they set out with. They called it this concept of having a deliberate strategy versus an emergent strategy. That most organizations declare success and victory with something different than they communicated earlier on. Because great leaders are willing to change their mind. They're humble enough to realize that a different course of action might be necessary. But great leaders communicate that because it's in your head does not mean it's in your employee's head because you've been thinking about it every day for the last 70 days in the shower or in bed or on the drive to work. You have got to exponentially increase the amount of time you spend communicating it to your team members, clarifying it, simplifying it, breaking it down for them, and asking them to repeat it back to you. Not because you don't trust them, you don't trust yourself to explain it to them in a way that is clear to them that they can then actually do something different or learn something new to accomplish. So as a leader, once you've said it 50 times, you're halfway there. You've got to continue to articulate and inspire people around this vision kind of ad nauseum. Yeah, and you know, this is also really important with your audience. If you have an audience that, that you're trying to, to grow, many times they, they're, they're going on a journey with you, right? They're going with you somewhere. And if you can't clearly... You're never done. Yeah, you can't give them the journey or you can't explain where they're going in a simple way for them to understand. It's gonna be really hard for them to know where, where this whole ship is going, right? The best thing you can do is break down that vision. And as it's changing, just keep it, people involved in it. Because I find the brands that are growing the most right now that, that have that level of transparency. They show that they're authentic. They show that this is where I'm going. And clarity wins every time I find with this type of thing. Yeah, as leaders and entrepreneurs, do not mistake the multitude of hours you've spent thinking about it with the couple of minutes you've spent talking about it. Hour for hour. If you spend an hour thinking about it, Spend an hour talking about it. You cannot over-communicate the vision for where you want to take your business, the industry, your product, your brand. You can't over-communicate it. No one's ever said, okay, I get it. It never happened. Scott, that's great. I, I love where we're going with this podcast episode. I have so many more days and challenges I want to cover that you went through in the book. But I think just for sake of time, I want to really end the way that you ended the book. And that's what you're talking about, character and the importance of it. Can you talk to us a little about our character as leaders? And what that means for us. Yeah, you know, a good friend of mine is Joel Peterson. He's the chairman of JetBlue Airways. He's a fairly famed professor at Stanford. He wrote a book recently called The Ten Laws of Trust, just out a few weeks ago. And Joel talks about, you know, character is just your ticket to the game. If you don't have strong character, then really nothing else matters. And I think most people think they are trustworthy. When I give a keynote to an audience, I'll say, raise your hand if you're trustworthy. Everybody's hand goes up. And I say, no, no, put it down. Who decides if you're trustworthy? And then everybody realizes the other person. So, you know, your character really is, you know, who you are at your core, 
It's what you do when no one's watching. It's your belief system. It's your uncompromised standard. It's your ethics, right? It's, it's just, it's what you do regardless of what other people think or say. And it becomes your reputation, right? Your reputation is simply a collection of all of the decisions you make in life. And, you know, you build your life, a lifetime of building your character and it can be destroyed in one bad decision, right? And people are forgiving and people are fairly um, generous and giving you second chances, but why cash in on that? So I think, I think our society, Alex, has lowered their standard, but I think there is going to be a resurgence to a return to character. I mean, look how you raise your children, right? I mean, so there's no different. Your lives are inseparable. Your personal life and your professional life are the same. Your credit score at home reflects how you manage your P&L. How you tell the truth to your wife reflects how you tell the truth to your team. Our lives are inseparable. Focus on your character and people will follow you. That's so good. I love that we ended with characters. I think that that really is, that's the foundation of it all, right? Humility kind of plays right back into that, what we started with. So I love that we were able to end this episode like this. Such a powerful book, such a powerful conversation. Thank you so much for everything you shared today, Scott. Really appreciate it. Alex, my honor. Thanks for the platform. I'm delighted you enjoyed the book. This is my favorite type of episode right here. You could hear the passion in Scott's voice and just the experience he's been through. I have so many high-level takeaways and notes from this episode to be able to apply to my personal life, professional career, and also just my ability to lead myself and others. Scott, thank you so much for everything that you shared in this episode with us. There's actually one more point that I wanted to get to, but we ran out of time. It was day 30 in his book, and it's Get Better. And I'm going to encourage you to grab a copy of Scott's book. Again, it's called Management Mess to Leadership Success. I'll have a link to it for you in the show notes. But in day 30, Get Better, Scott talks about continuously growing and developing yourself. And by listening to this podcast episode and other episodes like this one, you're making that happen through education. That's a really important way to continue to get better. Another way is to surround yourself with the right people. And I want to talk to you about the Creating a Brand community, as I always do. I encourage you to join because I can tell you right now, this community is full of the right people. They're going to help you go further in life and in business. Scott, thank you again for being a guest and just sharing your wisdom and your passion with all of us. I believe it's going to help us all go so much further in our life and in our businesses. For show notes from today's episode, visit creatingabrandpodcast.com. And as always, thank you so much for listening, subscribing, and leaving those reviews. I'll be bringing you another impactful episode next week. 